0: Well, please turn with me in your Bibles here this afternoon to uh, the second epistle of John. So John, second uh, John, and we'll be reading this entire epistle. So that's Second uh, John, beginning at verse number 1. It says, To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, A grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we have received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, and that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. And once again, we know the Lord will bless the reading of God's precious, holy, and fabled word even to our hearts. Well, brothers and sisters, as we come to 2 John here this afternoon, the central idea that John is highlighting for us in this passage, in this text, is that of truth, how important it is for us especially as God's people, to be founded upon the truth, the truth of God and his word. In John eighteen thirty-seven, when Pilate was speaking to Jesus, he said, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate responded to this by asking, What is truth? What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. There is nothing worthy in this man that he should be crucified and put to death. But nevertheless, as we know, they crucified anyway. They rejected him. And they rejected the truth. There's one person who said, "Like it or not, we live in a world that considers it a virtue to deny the existence of truth." Our students, or people in general, are being indoctrinated into a postmodern worldview daily in the classroom, through music, movies, television, politics. There's a time when truth was sacred and valued and embraced. It was considered the independent standard by which we measured our existence within reality. Truth, however, has now been under fire. We live in a postmodern world where truth is, unfortunately, whatever you make it to be. In the realm of politics, news, in our institutions, what's the biggest complaint you hear? That that network or that organization promotes fake news. I mean, how many times have you heard that? Fake news. Or that story that is in the news, well, that story has four Pinocchios because uh, it doesn't have uh, truth uh, in it. I mean, the world we're living in is becoming increasingly difficult to discern between truth and error because of what we're hearing in our institutions. I mean, how can you really then trust that facebook story that just showed up on your newsfeed. i mean is that based in reality is that fact or is someone trying to uh, propagate a uh, a narrative or try to influence to a certain point of view how can we truly trust what we're hearing in our news and on our media feeds and so on because there are those out there who want to manipulate you so that you think a certain way they have an agenda that they're trying to uh upon you, and of course we live in a time really of cultural relativism where truth is whatever you want it to be, no right, no wrong, we do what we feel is right, I mean it's uh, really like the days of the judges, you know at the end of Judges it speaks of the fact that there was no king in Israel and as a result of that what happened, every man did what was right in their own eyes. And we really have a sense of that today, do we not? Where we don't have standards that are set out for us. Society is just kind of moving along however it feels. Uh, The scriptures are denied. Christ is denied. We no longer hold the Bible in reverence. And that this is the standard of God, the truth of God, that we ultimately should be standing upon. And unfortunately, as we look at our society and this relativism that is happening out there where people are just doing what is right in their own eyes, as Christians, as believers, we certainly can be influenced by this thinking. And uh, we need to be careful. We need to be discerning, do we not? Because it's better to obey God than it is man. And we recognize Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by Him. And if we certainly want to live for the Lord, we need to follow the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. He is our ultimate reality, and our lives must be founded upon Him. And it's not where we basically obey God however we desire it. Remember, as I said this morning, God does not exist to keep us happy, to make you happy. And it's Better to obey than to sacrifice, as he told Saul in the Old Testament. Better for us to obey the living God. Remember, the word of God has been delivered to us, revealed to us, so that we obey it, not to question it or to impose our will upon it. We'll follow you, Lord, how we want to follow you. But uh, don't expect me to make sacrifices and and, uh, do hard things because of you. But no, remember, we are to follow the Lord no matter where he leads us. And so the scripture really lays out for us objective truth that sets the moral standards for our life and for our living. Here is truth. If you want to know where truth is, it's found right here. This is the standards for your faith and what you are to believe. And so the more you know the scriptures, the more you know the truth, the more you'll have the confidence that, yes, I'm believing and following what is ultimately real. And my life can be founded upon this as solid ground as opposed to the shifting sand that we see in society today. And so as we come here to the second epistle of John, I'd like us to think about the fact that truth is something that matters. Truth does matter. We're to know and understand the truth that God has revealed to us. And so what does uh, John tell us here in the first three verses? He says, "...to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth..." And not only I, but all those who have known the truth. Note the repetition there of the word truth. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love, in truth and love. So John gives a salutation to the family in this church, the elect lady, And to her children. And as he writes her this note, he emphasizes the vital importance it is to know and to have and to be established upon truth. Upon truth. And truth ultimately is the foundation for who we are in Christ. For without truth, our beliefs come like that shifting sand. How can we truly know anything? How can we have confidence in anything? If one minute we think that uh, God is uh, directing us this way and then all of a sudden things get turned around and and wait a minute, God is not that way, he's this way. And so we need to be ultimately mature in the faith that uh, the scriptures has revealed to us. Paul said something similar in Ephesians 4 when he said that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, which is Christ. And so what you believe does matter. It is not enough for us to say, well, I believe the Bible. Yeah, I follow the Bible. I know uh, the scriptures. But the reality is every cult out there can say the same thing, can't they? Well, they come saying, well, we believe the Bible. We're coming to share the Bible. I mean, when that Jehovah Witness is knocking on your door, he's presenting the Bible to you, isn't he? But we also need to know what the Bible teaches concerning everything about what impacts us as Christians. And when it comes to man and sin and God and Christ and salvation, what it truly is to be justified and then sanctified. And understanding the doctrines of Scripture and how we're to uh, understand even Orthodox belief. Because it's not enough just to say, I believe the Bible. Because people can twist Scripture to make the Bible teach whatever you want it to teach. But rather, to understand the Scriptures in its context. To see what is the author intended meaning of the text. Recognizing that the Bible is objective truth. I'm not to interpret it subjectively. And to again impose my beliefs. Or my ideas upon scripture. But rather to have the scriptures speak in terms of what is the author intended meaning to me. And to us. Because. If we're wrong in any of those areas in terms of Christ and salvation, justification, sanctification, then it obviously is going to direct us to be uh, against God as opposed to for God. And you could find yourself actually not standing for the truth at all. And that's why we are a confessional church. And that we have orthodox doctrine laid out for us in our confessions. And what is... What is our confession, folks? Do you know? It's the Westminster Confession of Faith. Larger and shorter catechisms. Now I want to ask you, when was the last time you read that document? Remember, this is your confession. And so it's a very good thing for you to read the confessions. To read the catechisms. And to understand what it is that you believe as an orthodox believer, a reformed believer. I mean, we are very covenantal in our faith. Well, what does that mean? How do we to understand this covenant relationship that we have with God through Christ? I mean, what is the difference between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace and how does this impact us? I mean, how is it that I'm truly justified through Christ? And what is the difference between justification and sanctification? I mean, if I was to come to you and I was to sit down with you and say, okay, I want to have a Bible study at your house. Knock, knock. And then I didn't tell you I was coming. I didn't tell you I was coming. I just showed up at your house. I mean, I, I'm sure you would love that, wouldn't you? You'd enjoy, enjoy uh, having a visit from me. And uh, I'd say, put on the coffee and let's sit down and have a chat. And then I want, to expl- I want you to explain to me the differences between justification and sanctification? What is the aspects of God's covenant relationship with us? What do you believe the Bible teaches concerning Christ? And how are you then to apply these vital doctrines to your life? How would you respond? Would you be able to explain these things? I mean, it's right there in front of you in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's not where you're having to come up with these uh, this, these teachings on your own. It's laid out for you. Because we know what we believe as orthodox believers. Because we have our confessions. And of course, we do not put our confessions equal to or above the scriptures. Remember, the Westminster Conf- Confession of Faith is a, a tool that uh, summarizes scriptures for us so we understand what it is that we're to believe concerning these important teachings or doctrines. When it comes to man and sin and salvation, Christ and, and justification, sanctification, and so on. But do you understand these things? Do you know these things? Can you explain these things? Because it's very easy to go day after day, week after week, month after month, and basically just take the position, well, this is what my church believes. It's what the pastor uh, teaches. And I know he teaches on justification and sanctification. He's teaching the scriptures, and you know that's vitally important. But it has to be more than, well, this is what my church believes, and because my church believes it, I believe it. But do you really know it and understand? And could you explain it to someone else if they were to ask you what the difference is between these things? And so John is obviously concerned about the truth and that God's people then also would be established in the truth of Scripture, that you understand it. It's not about someone else understanding these things. It's about you understanding these things. Do you understand these things? Do you know them? We understand truth is something that has a sense of... It's of the reality of something. Opposed to mere appearance. It's the basis of something that's actual, real. Right? The revelation of God. uh, Through the Spirit of the Lord who... uh, leads us into all truth, doesn't he? I mean, you have a helper, a paraclete, one who's at work in your heart and your life, who's constantly guiding you and directing you in truth so that you have an understanding of the truth. And that Christianity is not based on religious speculations or philosophy, but rather upon objective revelation given to us focusing primarily on the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The church of Jesus Christ, right? Those who've come to know the truth. How is that you've come to know the truth? Because you've come to a saving faith, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ himself, as he is the truth. Christ in me. Christ at work in me. Opening my eyes, apart from him, I'm blind and dead in trespasses and sins. But God has come and brought me to that place of spiritual life from spiritual death and granted me an understanding so that this book is more than just something that I read academically. Because there are those who do that. I remember my wife, when she was in university, in one of her uh, courses... They were reading the Bible. She actually had to have a King James version of the Scriptures, and they read it for academic purposes. But we're not just to read this for academic purposes. Yes, I'm to have an understanding of the Scriptures in my mind, but it's supposed to also touch what? My heart. This is real to me because it reveals to me a relationship that I have with God through Jesus Christ. Where would I be without the Lord? Where would I be without Christ? I recognize in and of myself, you know, I would be lost in, eter- uh, in, in a Christless eternity without a knowledge that the Spirit of God has led me. That I might know this word, that I might know the Savior of God uh, from God, and I might come to a saving knowledge of Him, of Jesus Christ. How important it is for us to know the truth, to be founded upon the truth, and that it, uh, this becomes the standard for my life and for my living, that I do not set the standard for my life and for my living. This present world and this society does not set the standard for my morality, but that my, the, the standards of my belief, the standards of my morality is given to me by God, and that uh, he expects me to obey it. Now, I know that I cannot obey it on my own. I mean, he's given us the moral law, but remember, he gave the moral law to a redeemed people that he brought out of slavery, out of bondage. And hence, he gives grace and the ability to keep his moral law, not only to understand and know the truth, but to live it out. And so God is giving us that grace we need in order that we might certainly understand and know how it is that God is to enable me to live in this world and to obey and follow him. And may the Lord continue to reveal his truth to us. I mean, we're continuing to grow in that grace and knowledge of Christ, isn't aren't we? I don't think at any time we plateau in the knowledge of God. May the Lord give us a hungering for truth and knowledge and understanding that we might grow in this wonderful relationship that we have in him. We need him to be constantly at work in us. We must know the truth, because the truth matters. It really does matter in how we are in this world. But we not only must know it, but we must live it out. Uh, Verse 4, he says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth. As we receive commandment from the Father, they're walking in the truth. Uh, They're setting a lifestyle whereby Christ is being exalted in them and through them. They're desiring to live for the Lord, not for themselves. And so this has a sense of lifestyle to it. And he's rejoicing that the children, some of the children, are living in the truth. The truth is being lived out in them as uh, they have received commandment of the Father. He has been able to witness uh, the truth at work in the lives of of these children, and it greatly encouraged him. How important it is for us to teach and train the next generation, isn't it, congregation? How important it is to live and show our faith to our children and to our grandchildren so that they also would see what it is to live in the truth. As parents, we have an obligation to teach our children, do we not? that they also are established in the truths of God and his word, so that by grace they also would choose to live for the Lord, value him, love him, and ultimately serve him. The Lord warned Israel in the Old Testament not to let the environment of the pagan society that surrounded them to dictate their lifestyle and values. In Deuteronomy 6, said, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples that are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. And so it's a very serious warning that he gives here in terms of the lifestyle they were to choose. I mean, they were not to live according to the pagan societies around them, but they were to forsake that, turn from that, and to live for the Lord primarily. To love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, of course, to instill this also upon the next generation, upon the children. That they also would come to value the Lord and not to go after the, you know, that pagan way of thinking the society around them. British poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge once had a discussion with a man who firmly believed that children should not be given formal religious instruction. That children should not be taught the Bible, the Word of God. No formal religious instruction. But that uh, they should be free to choose their own religious faith when they reached maturity. Allow the children to believe whatever they want And that when they're old enough, then they can decide if they want to serve God, believe in Christ, or they wanted to essentially continue on in in the manner and the ways of the society around them. Now, Courage did not say anything at that time, but later invited this man into his neglected garden. That's what he did. And what do you call this garden? The visitor exclaimed. There is nothing here but weeds. You... Are showing me a garden but this is chaos this is just weeds i i know maybe you have a garden like that the weeds somehow have a way of taking over don't they if you just do nothing and just leave it to however it wants and uh it'll get overgrown quite quickly well you see said courage i did not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden any way I was just giving the garden a chance to express itself, to do what it wants. I mean, you spoke about children, the next generation, and, then, and basically they should be able to express themselves and do whatever they want, not infringe upon them. Well, I'm just doing the same thing with the garden. Like I don't want to infringe on the garden. But what did it lead to? And he even said, well, what kind of garden is this? It's just weeds. It's chaos. I mean, are we not leading our children to chaos if we do not teach them the word of the Lord? Remember, our children are vitally important not only to us, but also to God, are they not? That's why the Lord desired that our children be set apart unto Him. Is that not why we baptize them? We place upon them the sign and seal of the covenant that they would belong to the covenant people of God, to be separated from the societies and the pagan world around them. They would be a, also uh, have a sense of being a part of God's people. Why we teach them, we bring them to church, we want them also to be established in truth as we read the scriptures with them, as we pray with them, and we desire that they also would have a sense of the importance of prayer and faith and Knowing the Lord? The psalmist said in Psalm 127, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Well, brothers and sisters, may we also be able to say, I rejoice greatly. I rejoice greatly. I found your children walking in the truth. May we also rejoice We see our children also walking and living in the truth, because we have shown that to them. We have uh, been a testimony to them. We have taught them. We endeavor to uh, direct them in the ways of truth, so that they do not uh, destroy themselves in the chaos that is this world. May the Lord put a hedge around our children and protect them. May the Lord certainly direct our children even unto himself. He says uh, here in verse verse 3, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment uh, to you. Sorry, that's verse 5. Now I plead with you, lady, not as though I write a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is his, the commandment. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And so now he's emphasizing the vital importance of obedience unto the Lord, that uh, we show this obedience even in the love that we have for each other, a Christian love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, How important is it to have unity in the church? I mean, we can have disagreements, and I'm sure you've had disagreements with your brothers and sisters in the past, but we still are to respect one another, are we not? It's Christ that unites us as the people of God. We need to have a unity and that unity certainly begins with Christ as we love the Lord our God. And we, if we say we have love for Christ and love for God, ultimately then we're to have a love for one another, even in those times we have disagreements. And so this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. I mean, Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what? You are going to keep my commandments. I mean, do we not show that love to Christ when he... Make him not only Savior but Lord and Master. He's the shepherd. We are the sheep. We need to hear his voice and follow him. May the Lord help us to do that. And again, not to impose our will or way upon the scriptures or upon Christ. Uh, God's word has been revealed to be obeyed and not to questioned. I mean, we can question all kinds of things in this world. I mean, we question our politicians. Nothing against politicians, they're important. We're thankful for them. But it's easy for us to question things in this world, especially if we don't like them. But when it comes to the Word of God, remember, He has authority over you and me. And here we have objective truth. May the Lord then enable us to believe His commandments, obey His commandments. And follow him perfectly. Now, we're weak. We're frail. We have, at times, uh, uh, we uh, give in to temptations and we do not obey the Lord. But remember, congregation, he giveth more grace. And we need that grace. Lord, help me to believe you. Help me to follow you. Lord, help my unbelief as that man came to the Lord with that child that needed healing. I mean, there are more times we say, Lord, help my unbelief than I have faith. But did he turn that man away? No. Does he turn you away? I mean, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's Christ who took the enmity away that was there between us and God. And if the enmity has been taken away, we have access to this throne of grace, do we not? I mean, that's what Paul tells us in Romans 5. I mean, oftentimes I'll say this to people. Is God the Father perfectly? Does He perfectly accept Christ His Son? Does God perf- does He accept His Son Jesus? I mean, we think about that Trinitarian relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does the Father perfectly accept the Son? You say yes, of course. Who are you? You are in Christ, united to Christ. You are not your own. You belong to Him. You are. In him. He is in you. He took your sin. He washed and cleansed you from your sin. And if I am in Christ, I belong to Christ. Christ belongs to me. If the Father accepts Jesus, then by extension of that, who must he also accept? You. Should he not? You. Because if he accepts his Son, if God the Father accepts his Son, we who are in Christ then must also be fully accepted. And then we have that throne of grace open to us. I mean, what was the first thing that happened when Christ died on Calvary's cross, when he gave up the ghost? I mean, he cried out, it is finished. And what was the very first thing that happened after that? It was the veil of the temple, right? That curtain that separates the holy place and the holiest of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is. What was the first thing that happened? It tore, did it not? From top to bottom, didn't it? It was God that opened up the way. Before then, no man could enter into the holiest of holies, only the high priest once a year with the uh, sacrifice, the blood offering, because uh, if any man entered into the holiest of holies, apart from that, if he dared to walk in because of the perfect holiness of God, what would happen to that person? He He would die. God would strike him down. Because we're most unholy and wretched sinners. But something incredible happened on the cross. When the veil of that temple tore from top to bottom. Unholy man now accepted fully by a holy God. And what makes the difference? Jesus does. It's Jesus. Who makes the new and living way for us beyond the veil. We have perfect access to God because we are perfectly accepted to God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can find help in time of need. I can come to this God and say, Lord, I fall short of your, of your holiness, of your righteousness. I find it so difficult to live for you. There are times when temptations are so strong. Lord, my desire is to live for you. But Lord, I find to me Another law, a law of the flesh, is kind of what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. You know, this this struggle that he had between uh, the spirit and the flesh. And even then, he cried out, uh, you know, how is it that uh, he could be saved from the flesh? I thank my God through Jesus Christ my Lord. So he saves me even from myself. So that I might live the truth, obey the truth, and follow the truth. And so you have help, congregation, the spirit of truth in you, bringing you to Christ so that you might obey the God you love. May the Lord continue to grant us the help we need constantly so that we are a people that are living the truth as that truth has been revealed to us by God. We do not live to him the way we think we're to live as it has been revealed to us. In the scriptures, may the Lord enable us to do that and to love the Lord our God, but also to love one another. Because uh, obviously love is a fulfillment of the law. And then to discern the truth, to discern the truth. So we're to know it, we're to live for the truth, but we have to have a discerning heart, a discerning mind. He says in verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world, who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And so, if someone denies the essentials of the gospel, the essentials of the scriptures, obviously, as John is saying to us here, this one is a deceiver. This one is actually an antichrist. John revealed the need for an awareness of deception prevalent in his day. And are they not still trying to deceive us today? You have to be very careful, don't you, when you're watching those YouTube videos, uh, teaching you some aspect of the Scriptures? Or uh, you have that, again, that Facebook post that's telling you something about uh, Christ and the Scriptures? Well, is this uh, based in uh, orthodox belief objective faith, or is it someone just trying to impose himself upon the scripture and influence you? And so he's endeavoring to direct this elect lady and her children uh, to this sense of discernment, awareness, and not to be deceived, not to be naive. I mean, it's very easy for Christians to be naive, especially if you don't know the Bible the way you should. Because I'll tell you this, it's very easy to come to church Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And if this is the only uh, uh, biblical teaching that you're receiving, if you're not in this book every day, then you're setting yourself up to be a naive Christian who can then be deceived very, very easily. That's why you need to know this book. Make it a part of your life and your habits, uh, your routine. I mean, are you reading the Bible every day? Is it a part of your devotional life, a parents? Are you reading the scriptures to your children so that they uh, receive that word, receive that instruction? If we're not, if this is the only time that you are opening the pages of this book, you're opening yourself up to a lot of deception and how easy it can be deceived. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are working very hard to take advantage of you are they not i mean how many of you have received a phone call uh you know your computer has an issue we want you to log on to your computer right now and and we're going to have you download our software so we can fix your computer have you ever received a call like that or you get those emails and it's always someone from some foreign country saying well my great aunt has uh $10 million and we want to give you this $10 million and all you have to do is contact us and uh, give us your bank uh, info and then we will uh, deliver you $10 million. I mean, is that safe? Would you do that? I'm sure you've received those emails, haven't you? Someone out there has wanted to give you something and you thought, well, wait a minute. This just sounds a little too good to be true. Why are you wanting to give me, you know, something like that? Because the reality is, They're hoping to scam you. They're hoping to take your money. And of course, uh, we want to be aware of of those types of schemes so that someone doesn't uh, clean us out, as it were, take all our money out of our bank account, as opposed to claiming or pretending that they're going to give us a large amount of funds. But how much greater is it to have discernment in the spiritual realm. I mean, we know how important it is in the material realm in terms of protecting our our bank account and our finances and so on from the scammers. We need to protect ourselves, protect our hearts, protect our minds, so that we don't have those who would come along to try to influence us actually to uh, believe those things are against God's word as opposed to for God's word. How well are you prepared for the deceivers? How well do you know the word of God? Are you established in the truth? Are you spending time with Christ in your devotional life? So that uh, as the deceivers come, as uh, John tells us here, many deceivers, not just one or two, and that uh, they might be uh, sort of a passing fancy, as it were. But he says, many deceivers have gone into the world. These ones who are ultimately not confessing that Jesus is coming in the flesh. Deceiver, Antichrist. And they're coming for you, to influence you, to impact you. I mean, look at yourselves. He says that we do not lose these things we've worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. We have endeavored to establish ourselves in the scriptures by study and so on. We don't want to just throw it away because someone comes along and he's convinced us of some uh, some, uh, idea or teaching that we think, well, that sounds reasonable. Uh, Maybe I should follow that. I mean, when Jehovah Witnesses knock on your door, they sound very reasonable, don't they? They do. I've talked to Jehovah Witnesses and they'll tell you Yes, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Yes, uh, you know, I believe the Bible. But do you really know what they believe and what they teach? I mean, they come across as being orthodox. But then before you know it, they'll actually deny the deity of Christ. They deny the literal, uh, physical resurrection of Christ. And uh, they're going to direct you to works righteousness... I mean, that's why they're knocking on your door. They think this is a part of their justification. Not just as a a desire to reach the lost for for Jesus. You know, we certainly have that desire. But they're actually making a part of their justification. And that's where they will lead you. And so that's why you need discernment. I mean, that's just one example. That's why you need to have discernment. Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things that we worked for, that we might receive a full reward. That full reward is full salvation in Christ. Uh, We'll be receiving the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. But we don't want to uh, uh, lose that, do we? That's why our full faith must be in Christ to receive the full reward. I don't want to ever get into that place of works righteousness where I think, well, I must play a part in my justification. I know I cannot. And so may the Lord enable us then to have discernment, to have awareness, to make sure that the things we believe are orthodox, uh, drawing from the Scripture's truth, so that we might be established in that truth. Because in verse 10, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And so there's an acceptance of the person, acceptance of the doctrines, uh, false doctrines and teachings and so on. You're actually now impacting your life and, and that of your family, and that of your children. You're bringing the false doctrines into your place. And he says this is deadly. It's as if you've allowed someone with a, an infectious disease to come into your house. If someone had a, a deadly infectious disease, would you say, come on in. Interact with my family. Spend time with us. We would love for you to be in here. And then one by one, you all catch the infectious disease, right? I mean, there's no way we would do that. We understand that. But that's what it means to hold to the truth and make sure that uh, we ourselves are not being influenced by a false doctrine, but to allow our children also to be impacted by a false doctrine. Remember, we live in a, a time of cultural relativism where truth is whatever you want it to be. And I remember in the news there was someone who said, Well, I just want to share my truth. I mean, is that, is that how we approach truth? It's my truth as, as opposed to your truth and then his truth and that person's truth. I mean, do we treat truth that way? Or do we say, Jesus is the truth? Here is the truth. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. May we then be established in his truth, in his ways, because this is the way that leads to eternal life. And we so desire and need the truth that leads to life, because Jesus came, remember, to uh, take away the ignorance and the darkness of sin so that we no longer would be deceived by our own thinking, but rather we turn from self and we embrace Christ. I may not even understand everything that Christ does for me, but nevertheless, I believe. Help my unbelief. I trust, I follow, and grant me a greater understanding of who you are, Lord Jesus, so that I might walk in your ways to know your life within me because remember, Christ has made that new and living way for us. We have access to this throne of grace that we might have that help in need so that we might know and understand the truth but that we have the help to know and understand the truth to have discernment for the things of God. May the Lord grant us that discernment and understanding. And congregation how important it is for you to be founded in truth orthodox truth. Seek it with all your heart as if treasure Here is the treasure of Jesus, that our uh, treasure be found in him, and that ultimately our hearts also founded in him. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, your truth. Lord, we can be influenced. We can be naive. We can be led astray. There are many out there who want to influence us away from the scriptures and upon uh, their own doctrines and teachings. The Jehovah Witness Church is one that, unfortunately, is also thriving today as well. And many other cults and groups and so on. But there are those who are very subtle in how they approach these things in order to lead the Christian away. But Lord, protect and keep your sheep. You are the great shepherd. We are the sheep. We're following you. We're endeavoring to seek you, Lord. We're calling upon your name. We ask for that help. Lord, we're thankful that we're fully accepted in Christ. Lord, we're thankful that we're justified in Christ. We have access to your throne of grace. Grant us, O oh God, fortitude of heart and mind. And Father, that we wouldn't just read, your, read the scriptures on a Sunday when we're at church. But Lord, help us to spend time with you every day, growing in that grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Lord, you would be the one establishing us in your truth that we would walk in your ways and your righteousness and not to seek our own way. Lord, you know the challenges of God's people. And so I pray that you would certainly grant grace to every heart and that each one certainly would be led by you. And Father, that uh, we'd be a means of encouraging souls. And so continue with us now. Bless us in this coming week. Lord, we give you praise for all that you do for us constantly. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Paul told us in Philippians 1, 9-11, he said, "...and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are, in, or which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God." will now receive the Lord's blessing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.